Today's episode of The Ringer FC is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. It's time to talk about Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is just 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book. No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels, and it's perfect for whether you're a planner or you like to leave things to the very last minute. And with Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they got hotels in Kiev we can book. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's episode of The Ringer FC is also brought to you by Proper Cloth. Having trouble finding shirts that fit? At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts has never been easier. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Shirts start at $80 and are delivered in just two weeks perfect fit is guaranteed. If a shirt doesn't fit, they will remake it for free. The whole process is risk-free for a premium quality, perfect fitting shirts. Visit propercloth.com slash FC and use gift code FC to get $20 off your first custom shirt today. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on the Ringer FC Champions League, Champions League, Champions League. That's what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about Roma Liverpool, talking about Bayern Real Madrid. We'll be talking a little bit about the final Spoiler alert between Liverpool and Real Madrid. We're also talking about the fall of Arsene Wenger, uh, the relegation zone, and Italian soccer today. Just a few things before we get started. Please read Ryan O'Hanlon's Champions League semifinal winners and losers. He did two parts for each of those two ties, and they were great. Right? Did you do them for both ties? I did. Thanks. I really appreciate your contributions to The Ringer. You're my editor. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, you can also listen to a couple of great podcasts be sure to subscribe to the Dave Chang Show. It's a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Uh, Dave is obviously the uh, man behind Momofuku and Major Domo. His new podcast goes into the opening of Major Domo in Los Angeles and talks all about what it's like to run a modern restaurant. Also, the Ringer NBA show is going 24-7 during the playoffs. We did a show last night on Thursday night after Sixers Celtics, which was uh, emotionally traumatizing. You can catch uh, Draft Class Verno and Kev, Heat Check, Group Chat, Sources Say, all week long. Subscribe to the Ringer NBA show. And if you do get a chance and you are cold or you are hot, you want a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, it doesn't really matter. TheRinger.com slash shop for all your blog boy needs. Now, without further ado, Ringer FC. Welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm the editor at TheRinger.com, and I am joined by European royalty, Ryan O'Hanlon. What's up? Michael Peters. What's going on? And live from New York, it's Donnie Kwok, Europa <laughs> League <Madrid>. legend. <laughs> What's up, fellas? What's up, guys? We're going to talk about European soccer this week. We're going to talk about uh, the Champions League and the Europa League, plus we'll talk a little bit of relegation battle at the bottom of the Premier League, and a little bit of Serie A at the end. But let's start with this week's second leg of the Champions League semifinals that sent Liverpool and Real Madrid to the final in lovely Kiev. We've been pricing tickets. <laughs> Zach Schwartz told us it was only 1300 LA to Kiev. But Julia Littman told me that the Kiev airport is a low point in her life, her experience there. <laughs> the low point so in it's her like, life. <laughs> what why why was she in Kiev? Uh, long story. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool wins 7-6, Real Madrid wins 4-3 on aggregate. Ryan, has European soccer lost its marbles? 
Yes. I think that um, we've entered an era where basically the only team in the world that cares about defending first is the team that Arsenal just lost to in the Europa League. (laughs) And every other top team just, whether it's Real Madrid where you're just spending money on expensive players or it's, you know, Liverpool, Tottenham, uh, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, where you, they're sort of, strategy is to just create as much chaos as possible on the field and mm. they train so that they're better able to deal with the chaos than the team they're playing against and i i think there's a combination of teams just want to be more attacking because soccer is so lucrative now that there's sort of a marketing um you know incentive behind sure. scoring a lot of goals and then i think the sort of the dominant theme we're seeing in modern soccer is teams that press super high up the fit, the pitch and try to just create turnovers everywhere. Are we ever going to see a tactical response to that? Are we going? Is there is long ball going to come back here? I mean, like, what would be the tactical response if everybody is is pressing really high up the pitch? What's the tactical pendulum swing for that? Yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen. That's how we've seen pressing teams just get destroyed is a quick, um, you know, maybe two or three passes in your own end. A Leicester City kind of situation. The the issue with it, though, is that I guess the other way you would do it is you could pass through the press, but there are like 13 players on the planet who can do that, and they all play for the teams that press. (laughs) And Siesta just retired. Yeah. Yeah. Micah, when you, this is obviously a more entertaining product. Mm -hmm. It means no lead is truly safe, I guess. But at the end of the day, Real Madrid is still in the final. That's very Juventus, true. Bayern Munich. These are the teams that were in the the quarters, the semis. Um, is it chaotic on the field? But in the, in the, at the end of the day, uh, the big kids still eat first. Well, the thing is that, like, if you think about the the Bayern game, the the second leg. Uh, I mean, like, it was extremely fraught. But I mean, Madrid only had to be the better team for about fifteen minutes. Like, it's that suits them perfectly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, I think that, I, I mean, Tony Cruz after the game said that Bayern Munich was the better team for the lion's share of the game. I, I think that it is just simply the fact that they deal they deal better with when everything goes to pot, like. They have those three or four players of quality that can create those moments of magic. The same thing happened with uh, Tottenham against uh, Juventus. Um, Mm -hmm. Tottenham squandered a bunch of chances late. I mean, it was the fact that, again, Juventus only had to be the better team for about half an hour. Like, it's... I I think that, yeah, it's... I mean, to put it simply, yeah, the teams that are... That have... They have the best magician. They have the best magician. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Donnie? Yeah, and, and just from a neutral's perspective, it's it's awesome to watch. I mean, it's just remember watching like Mourinho and Benitez. Oh God, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I so actually completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how nervous were you guys that Roma would claw all the way back, though? I it's I don't think I was ever totally nervous, partially because, granted, the game ended uh, with Roma down a goal, but they were down two goals for essentially the entire game, so mm-hmm. they were they were never within a goal. So I wasn't nervous, but when you kind of look back at all of the chances and the possible, you know, penalties Roma had, you can be like retroactively nervous. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily true. After the game was after the first leg, when uh, when it finished five two, okay, maybe it wasn't 
frightened, but you were annoyed that they <laughs> that they let yeah, in two I goal mean, scores. Yeah, those the were end. useless yeah. goals to give up at the yeah. end of the game, and 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 because of the weight of away goals, it's just yeah. that was just very terrifying. Yeah. The other the other thing, I wonder what you guys think. Are all of these teams just worse than they've been in the past? You know, like Bayern Munich dominated sort of the balance of chances by a sort of insane degree, but were essentially undone by Rafinha just passing the ball to Lucas Vasquez and leading to a two-on-one breakaway for Real Madrid. And then Sven Ulreich, just his brain yeah. just Wasn't a great pass by Tolisso either. Though. No, but, you know, Sven Ulreich should have just bombed it up yeah, the field, and instead he thinks that maybe he can use his hands and realizes he's, he can't, so he just lets Benzema just score in a breakaway. Yeah. Can I ask you guys, This is, I'm going to basically paraphrase and repurpose a Jonathan Wilson theory about defending that I think maybe applies to Bayern, but you could throw, you could make wider across the Champions League. So for teams like Bayern Munich, mm-hmm. who are barely challenged in their domestic competition, they coast to the, to, to the, to the league title, they normally win their domestic cups they maybe play two or three games of con- consequence in their in their league right and they never are under pressure to win they get to this point in the season quarterfinal a semifinal even a final and this is among the most high pressure football they have played since the last time they got to the Champions League semifinals mm-hmm. or final okay. that this is the p- time when the stove gets turned on all the way up that's actually bad for them it's bad that they aren't playing in more derbies, that they're not playing in more, this could swing the league no matter what, in February or in March. It's bad that the league is a wrap by Christmas for them because that way their season boils down to 15 or 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and if they come up against someone like Ronaldo, then that this is what happens, that they I make mean, a mistake. What do you think it, of that, Donnie? It, it kind of explains City's exit, too, then. I mean, you could use that same theory to explain why City kind of had a— bad period and that essentially led to them being knocked out because they they hadn't had they had been coasting a little bit into the into the quarterfinal now to be fair Wilson's theory was more he was applying that more to like the state of defending in the Champions Mm -hmm. League Mm -hmm. and how a lot of us grew up talking of Donnie's like fond memories of Mourinho versus Benitez (laughs) of these really stoutly defended tactical Boar fests that would hinge on a Drogba penalty, mm-hmm. but now we're <laughs> in seven six four three. Fullbacks are like acting like wingers, and we have like these two two center backs who were basically deer in headlights the entire time. What do you think, Ryan? I think it's definitely. I, I don't buy the whole sort of psychological thing. Okay, mainly because the pr- Premier League has been terrible in Europe for the past five years, and that's the league where the games actually matter more than on a weekly basis than they do in any other, any other league. Um, you know, maybe I guess you could argue that that's sort of due to the quality of player in that league or the quality of manager, which has improved, I guess, a lot recently. But I think I think it's like what you're saying. Like, I think teams are smarter because all of these teams are, for the majority of the games they play in, they're dominating possession, mm-hmm. right? They have the ball more often. So it makes sense for your center back to be able to pass the ball. It's more probably more important that he's able to pass the ball or dribble it into the midfield. Um, so I think that's why we maybe see the defending fall apart when we get to this level because mm-hmm. then you're playing against teams that are better than you or as good as you, so you have to defend more often than you normally would, so then your defenders are just being asked to do things they're not good at. Does that make sense? Did Madrid defend that badly? Besides Marcelo? I don't Mm. think they made individual errors. I mean, Ramos had a terrible error on the first goal, but they didn't defend badly as 
individuals, but they gave up just a ton of chances. Yeah. I want to ask this about Liverpool, so we can get into talking a little bit about the the, two, the Champions League final itself here. Would you guys say, and I, I throw this to Micah and Donnie because I don't think Ryan and I can view this properly yet, <laughs> would you guys say that Liverpool are a new addition to the varsity table of European football clubs and we, we're going to regularly see them? Or, and this is not, not no disrespect to Atletico Madrid, are they more like an Atletico Madrid? Physically superior, they play a style of play that is just ferocious, frenzied. They have an incredibly charismatic manager, and they seem suited to blowing teams off the field in cup ties, where one team is like, "Okay, well, we just got to get our bearings here." And then yeah. they, they wouldn't, wouldn't that be more like Dortmund? Well, that's. I mean, I take your point, and but I mean, like in in the sense that both Dortmund and Atletico are giant killers, basically. Yes, okay. and, and yeah. also. Have some money, but not as much money not as, as the much teams money above them. as as Europe's elite. Yeah, quote and now are in their second consecutive European uh, Cup final. Right, they played Europa League against yeah. Sevilla and lost. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to get a sense of where this Liverpool team is going and whether or not we're gonna. Uh, they're kind of playing with play, playing a little bit dangerous right now because they have games against Brighton and Chelsea left to play in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. They have not. They've they haven't. They've drawn the last two matches in the Premier League. There is a world in which they fall out of the top four here, uh, and they are counting on winning the Champions League to get <laughs> to back, get back the into the Champions League. League. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely think that they are. It. I was joking about how the final is going to be Liverpool winning eight to seven. Like, they're going to turn it into like a shootout, not as in penalty shootout, but I mean, like, as in you know. Gunsmoke shootout. Yeah, they'll yeah, I mean, like, it'll be, jump on them two goals. Then it's yeah. just like the over under is somehow only three. Don't say final. that yet because I want to bet it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I take your point. Yeah, I do think that they've joined that kind of like tier of teams where it's just, you know, you it, it maybe you could handle them on paper, but at the same time, you don't want to have to deal with them either. Um, I think that they do tick all of those boxes. I mean, if you're thinking about Simeone versus Klopp or whatever, uh, Simeone has his own stratagems about parking the bus, but he parks the bus with passion. Yeah. <laughs> he's a passionate bus driver. He's a passionate bus driver. I mean, I mean to me, if, there's, if you identify the super galactical, big spending clubs, Bayern, Real, etc., Barcelona, and then... There's like the tier, the Dortmund Atletico tier. I think they're like in a tier in between, in between those two. Yeah. Be- because they spend more and I think they're not a selling club and they are on the ascent. So I don't know. I mean, I think getting to that top tier is really a matter of economics, right? Yeah. I think so. I think, you know, like City is probably on that tier. I mean, I think Liverpool's right below, but I don't think like, you know, Atletico's going to lose Griezmann. This year, next year. I mean, Dortmund loses players every year. I don't think Liverpool is in that state where they're going to have to redo this again every year with a new cycle of players. What about Coutinho, though? Yeah, yeah. I know, seriously. <laughs> I don't think that Liverpool yeah, is quite coming, the a new selling coming. Also, I, I got to be completely honest. If if Mo Salah scores one or two goals in the Champions League final and they beat Real Madrid, I mean, Real Madrid's going to Or Real Madrid coming. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the final specifically. Ryan mentioned that the over-under is just three goals. Uh, considering that these two teams just scored 11 uh, between them in the semifinal. I, I'm sure, divided by two. It's still going to be more than three goals in this game. <laughs> I would love it. We haven't had a—I ch- feel like the Champions League is often this very, very cagey affair, the final. 
It would be great to see a shootout. Not good for my blood pressure. Donnie, snap early prediction without knowing like whose hamstring is where. What do you think of this final? Who do you think is going to take it? I think usually when everybody thinks it's going to be 8-7 or a shootout, it ends up being like 1-0 or 2-1 or, or something. So my prediction is 1-0 to Madrid. Ronaldo penalty. 73rd minute. <laughs> <laughs> that's very specific. Uh, I don't know if you have the infinity gauntlet or something, but that's very specific. Oh, I'm going to be having nightmares about that exact scenario now yeah. for the rest. It's next cool three because weeks. Donnie will be really, really friendly in Slack if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what's your prediction? Uh, fuck it, three two Liverpool. That's mine. That's mine too. I was going to say four three, but that's just because I want like a I want a I want a repeat of like the 2005 Champions League final. It's it's honestly it's tough to predict it now because like one more injury to Liverpool's midfield and <laughs> I'm like, going to be playing in the yeah, Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's kind of there are you only have Wijnaldum and and Henderson and Henderson is Wijnaldum, Henderson and Milner and then there's maybe no John, right? there's no maybe Chan maybe Lana but there's really no sort of. Champions League level player beyond that. Yeah, when Milner but, gets a red card in the first five minutes, we're going to be in a bit of trouble. But I think yeah. that goes back to what we were just talking about. That's where Liverpool, like Bayern Munich, is bringing Javi Martinez off the bench. Carrington Toliso plays for France, doesn't start the first leg. Liverpool right. has Wijnaldum the and then Messi. like the Welsh Messi, Ben Woodburn. Yeah. So I think that that's the depth. This is the next step for Liverpool. Do you guys really think that Liverpool is going to fall out of the top four place though? No, it doesn't seem likely at all. Uh, what do they Everything to has to go wrong. From their last two games. If here's the thing, if it's Chelsea this weekend, right, and then Brighton. If it was Brighton this weekend, no one would be worried because you'd expect Liverpool to be, beat right. Brighton, and the Chelsea game wouldn't matter. And then Chelsea has to win out, also, which right. we're overestimating Chelsea. I think by assuming they're going to do that. All right, well, well, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Arsenal, the Europa League, and the end of Arsene Wenger. Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for great value. I have SeatGeek as an app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to get uh, tickets for El Trafico for LAFC versus LA Galaxy. Bring me Zlatan. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, and SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code RINGERFC. That's promo code RINGERFC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. All right, we are back. Uh, we have one gunner in this in this group, so we're gonna we're gonna ask him. Donnie, Arsenal out of the Europa League. They lose to Atletico Madrid in Madrid. 
it ends Arsene Wenger's fairy tale run at a Europa League uh, to get that European Cup that's eluded him. Um, how are you feeling? Uh, we haven't really spoken since Wenger announced that this would be his last year with Arsenal. I think some there was some pre- there was some talk in the beginning of that process that this was sort of his retirement. He is definitively not retiring. He was rumored to have offers to go to China. One would have to imagine <laughs> there are other offers coming. Uh, how do you feel about the end of the Wenger era, and how do you feel about Arsenal's exit from the Europa League? I thought we were going to talk about the departure of club legend Per Mertesacker. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I mean, it has been a long time since we talked, so the whole cycle of emotions has already been run through, I think. Like, the Goodwill tour lasted, I think, like a 72 hours, or maybe even a week. Uh, all the, you know, stories and reminiscing and and the thanks arson stuff. And then, you know, yesterday was really a perfect summation of Arsene Wenger's last, you know, 10 years at the club. I mean, it was just toothless and disappointing, but utterly predictable. And actually watching Atletico, because I don't watch that much Spanish football, but seeing them closely for a full match, it really kind of exemplifies the difference between like a team that knows what they're doing mm-hmm. and a team and a team that's just kind of floundering with no identity. Atletico uh, was playing with 10 men for most of the game. In the, in the first, first leg. leg. Yeah. yeah. But yesterday, I mean, they're a bunch of cynical fucks. Well, they were I mean. playing with like 10 men <laughs> in the first leg. And then you could say they were playing a man down with the Simeone still in the stands for the second leg. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, and one thing I have to say low key for Griezmann, who I've always respected, he's really actually a little weasel. <laughs> He's actually, a, you know, like everyone always talks about Costa as the pantomime villain, but Griezmann is definitely on that level as well. Um, and maybe that's just part, I mean, but again, that speaks to Simeone and also Atletico's identity. And when I watch them play, I kind of long for a team, not necessarily that's as cynical, uh, but some a team that has an identity, knows what they're doing, and and they know how to win these types of games. And, and Arsenal always in the last 10 years or so of Arsene Wenger's uh, tenure have not looked cohesive or like they know each other even on the pitch. So um, all that to say is, I guess, the, you know, farewell Arsene, all the kind of, you know, waxing poetic about what he's done. It's going to kick up again this weekend because it's his last home match Mm -hmm. against Burnley on Sunday. But um, I I, I don't think there's going to be any... You know, I mean, I think it, it yesterday exemplifies why it's the perfect time, if not a little bit too late for him to leave. I think that's the concern, right? Is that that's if, the concern? And next year it doesn't look bright. I mean, yeah, we've, that's, been t- we've been talking about the war chest is 50 million pounds, which is what uh, Alex half an yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 and, and Theo Walcott, maybe. I mean, it's like it's pretty paltry. They're not going to be in the Champions League, obviously. I mean, they're going to have to possibly qualify for the Europa League, depending on uh, how the table works out. Uh, it's not looking good. I mean, I do think, and you know, even the players that w- one would assume are on the rise or young enough to be valuable, like Bellerin, have regressed so much in the past couple of seasons that it's it really does need a total overhaul, I think. You know, I mean, you're pinning the, the whole team on basically building around Mesut Ozil. I worry about that as well. So it could be dark days. It could be see a lot of people jumping off the Arsenal bandwagon in the next couple of seasons. There hasn't always felt in the last couple of years, it always feels like you guys are buying from a position of 
panic rather than a position of power. Mm-hmm. And you're buying what other people either don't want or can't use anymore, whether it's Obamayang or whether it's Lacazette or whether it's Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan, you know. One thing that that alludes to is even beyond arson, a certain uh, divisiveness within the power structure of the club. And I know that they've brought in a number of people to sort of settle things down there in the, what would for us be the front office of Arsenal Football Club. But there are already rumors, Ryan, we were talking about this, that there's already a factioned coaching search, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, again, this is... It's it's rumors. It's rumors, but, but it kind of... Tracks. You know, one of my concerns is that, you know, they bring in this scout from Borussia Dortmund, and then they just sign players from Dortmund. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which speaks to a lack of creativity, I think. But, so there have been rumors that... So there's Raul Senelehi from Barcelona, and then... Sven Mislintat from Dortmund, and then sort of another a, another group of decision makers that are more sort of English based. And the rumors are that the Dortmund guy wants either Julian Nagelsmann or Domenico Tedesco from Schalke mm-hmm. and uh, Hoffenheim. That Sanale he wants Luis Enrique, who he worked with at Barcelona, and that the sort of more established faction at Arsenal wants Mikel Arteta. The Chips Keswick faction. So I, I think what would concern me about that, it, again, it, it it is all rumor or sort of uh, anonymously sourced reporting that there's not kind of a top-down decision-making structure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you haven't heard Allegri place. at all? I've been hearing Allegri lately. I mean, you hear everybody. I mean, it's like if it, 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 they, were, they were pushing Tuchel, but that... Tuchel and the scout, Mislinat, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't get along. That they were uh, rumored to be one of the reasons that Tuchel kind of had like a falling out at Dortmund. There's also Klopp's BFF. Who, the guy uh, recently departed. Yeah. He's not departed. I mean, it's not like he's left us. <laughs> I mean, recently He took a couple separated. of days away, yeah. Um, I mean, one exacerbating things, I think, you know, this summer is obviously a World Cup summer, too. So very little offseason. Mm-hmm. The appointment of the new manager is going to be is so fraught and it leaves everything kind of uncertain. And uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of an anxious time, I would say. Okay, so, Michael, what would if you were... You know, as a benevolent Manchester United fan, mm-hmm. what uh, do benevolent you think is generous. An Arsenal fan could reasonably expect for next season, assuming they're not bringing in some game-changing player like, like a, on the Bale Neymar. Let me ask you a question. And, yeah, w- would you hand Jose Mourinho over to Arsenal? <laughs> and what am I getting in return? Just like you can then just go get a different manager. You can, I can well just get any... you can have Welbeck back. Wow, Welbs for Mourinho straight up. Yeah, that guy. Mm. Hmm. Let me think about that. No, I wouldn't. I okay. wouldn't do that. Now, you, now anyway. you can answer the actual question. But the, the actual question is that it's just going. I mean. Transition periods are, especially after long dynasties where the manager has been there for 20 years, it's going to be a really turbulent period of readjustment. Yeah, and what was your feeling during the Moy season? Were you just miserable? Donnie, buddy, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I don't think there was a I don't think there was a day during during that Moyes season where I well or game day where I didn't at least consider throwing my TV out of the window. Yeah, but it's, he bought Fellaini, though. I, that was on the last day of the... 
You know what? We're not talking about boys. Yeah, and you know, doing really well in Spain this season. <laughs> he's killing it at Sociedad. You know, so this is what you have to look forward to, Donnie, basically. We had, uh, we've, we, everybody on this podcast pretty much is only knows life with Arsenal as a, as a as a challenger, as a European force, as the most beautiful, one of the most aesthetically pleasing soccer teams in the world. Here's the thing is that, like, legitimately, when I was younger, like, when— I first started watching Premier League football. I legit thought that Arsenal was called Arsenal because it was Arsenal. Wenger. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, it. Was literally that was the, that was it. That was my reasoning. <laughs> and we also know a couple of other things from most of our adult lives, and maybe not most of our adult lives. So, like, say for like the last 10, 15 years, and usually in these in the Premier League, that is included watching Stoke City or <laughs> West Brom. And for the last several years, uh, Southampton, who have been a mainstay in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Yet those are the three teams at the bottom of the relegation battle. Mm-hmm. They're the three teams at the bottom of the league. Oh, wow, Chris, you're going there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, Arsenal relegated next year. No, 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 no. I'm just moving on to the relegation they battle. They Mark Hughes. Yeah, I don't think that Arsenal's in any jerseys. danger of getting down there. I just think that uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about this miraculous turn of events in which we're seeing... These staples of the middle class of the Premier League. And Ryan, you and I have talked about this a lot because I think what happens is these teams inevitably either overextend themselves financially, bringing in the wrong players, or sell off too many of their good players and then aren't able to backfill with younger, cheaper talent, right? Yeah. That's essentially the Southampton story is... Southampton has <laughs> Liverpool owes this Champions League run to Southampton, <laughs> um, but Southampton hasn't been able to bring in their you know vaunted academy hasn't filled the blanks and they made a couple of managerial missteps. Let's just say this about that about Southampton to sort of put it in perspective. Southampton has the 18th highest revenue of any team on planet Earth, which is higher than Napoli <laughs> and higher than Roma, who is just in the Champions League semifinals. Wow, that's Great pull. wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Stoke and West Brom are both in the top 30 also. So that kind of just should set the stage of how we kind of look at how massive of a failure this would be for any of these teams. With Southampton, I think it's, it's tough because it's— you know, as you said, they've always been the one team that was looking four or five years ahead. Yeah, basically. And what, like, what was the last transfer that you felt like Southampton lost? You know what I mean? Like they kept losing these big players, but it was never like shit. Like they now they're sold gone. Now they're done. Yeah, like I guess Van Dyke is working out pretty well for Liverpool, but it was, Southampton made so much money from that that yeah. it's how do you argue with it? But I think you know it's. It just speaks to how hard it is to kind of keep doing that sort of rinse, wash out, replace, repeat strategy every season. And I think the thing that concerns me about Southampton is that I think it felt like they kind of panicked with Claude Puel, who I thought actually did a decent job last year. Maybe the results didn't go his way, but the team played reasonably well. Um, And then seeing them bring in Mark Hughes, who— had already led Stoke into the relegation places, despite a lot of talent. Seeing them go and get him Sparky. is a very, it's just a really un-Southampton move. Right? Uh, that's the thing that's sort of, there are, there are years where I have a, a lot of sympathy, um, either for the for the fan bases or for the clubs themselves. Like, you guys really tried. You, you tried to play good stuff, and, like, you got beat. This is not one of those years, though. I, 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 it's not that I don't like West Brom as much as I just can't really sympathize with anybody who hires Alan Pardew at this point. 
Well, <laughs> and they were going to be fine if they kept Tony Pulis. We yeah. said it at the time. We said the player, the man to make sure Resbrom doesn't get relegated is the guy that they just fired, <laughs> right? And I think, you know, you look at the numbers, and West Brom and Southampton are both actually, like, a couple th- chances go in. Their underlying numbers are more, like, around 11th and 12th, but that's because there's such a bunching of mediocre teams that when you perform at that level, a couple things don't go your way, and it drops you down to the bottom of the table. Is, is this strange for you? Is it strange to think about Stoke and West Brom going down? I guess West Brom's been a little bit of a yo-yo club for a while, but I it's, think they, this season has been so wild because there were points where Newcastle looked like they might go down, Leicester was getting dragged into a relegation race. The only teams that were really have been able to avoid it entirely, and that's not because they've just been so lights out. You know, Burnley, uh, of these, like th- this lower third of the Premier League in terms of earnings or however you want to look at it, Burnley and I guess Bournemouth never really got dragged that far down into it, although they're not totally out of danger. I, it, it's, been, it's been a very strange season where I think we've gone from a top six and now a seven really with Burnley, and now there is everybody else. Yeah. I mean, like, well, when you think about, let's see, I mean, just even looking at the table, yeah, I mean, there was West Ham seemed to have a really good run of form after, after Boxing Day. Watford kind of just the wheels came off after Marco Silva. They they lost like what, what was it ten games in a row? It's just every it's it's a complete mess. It, it definitely is weird to think about Stoke going like Stoke and Southampton going down. But I mean, at the same time, it's just like you know, you know, people get relegated every day. Can I make a prediction? <laughs> Go ahead and make a prediction. Southampton's not going down. Donnie! Wow. Come on, Zen. Who's taking wow. their place? I'll tell you what. Next Tuesday, May the 8th, is like the Champions League final of the relegation battle. It's Southampton and Swansea. Okay. And you think and Southampton right wins that six-pointer? Yep. Okay. I do. And I think Swansea's going down. All right. All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on this relegation battle. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we're back, we're going to talk Italian football. Today's episode of Ringer FC is brought to you by Bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years' experience, Bookmaker.eu is your online bookmaker for all your football betting needs, both professional and recreational. They offer a wide selection of betting options on soccer and football, including live betting, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from start up until final whistle, as well as alternate totals and handicaps, futures to advance, win UEFA and FA Cup, top four finish in Premier League, finish last in the Premier League, what teams will advance in the World Cup, teams to win the World Cup, all sorts of bets there. Bets are then graded, and within seconds, your account is credited instantly. Plus, with mobile betting, you can access your bookmaker betting account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. No download is necessary. No wonder Bookmaker has been mentioned in many major media outlets, including the New York Times, SB Nation, Forbes, ESPN, and more. And it's known by the pros as where Vegas goes for the opening line. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC to join today and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. That's bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. U.S. bettors accepted. Welcome back. It's only me and Micah. Donnie and Chris are gone. It's because they don't. They, they just, don't. They don't appreciate the Syria. They don't appreciate Catanaccio do. <laughs> like we do. <laughs> appreciate Catanaccio. They don't. They don't. Me and Micah are putting our hands together 
as if we're shaking just, them back and forth. Just, you know, ran, random Italian man greets passerby on the street. You know, just <laughs> we're we're here to mourn the loss of the final uh, legitimate title race in Europe. So we'll give you a quick quick overview and talk about some of the implications. So basically, uh, Napoli, as you know, in in Syria, basically. You want to root for the underdog because anybody winning other than Juventus is usually is good because Juventus has 33 titles to date, uh, including the the last six Serie A titles. Yep. And Napoli, who have been hot on their heels uh, for most of the season, uh, standing in the way of them winning their seventh in a row, uh, were have been really good and are close. To, were close to winning their first title since. The Maradona years in 1987 and 1990. And Napoli, we should say, sort of plays the most, I would say the most aesthetically very sumptuous version soccer. of soccer of yeah. any team in Europe. Yeah, it's very sumptuous. The, so anyway, they uh, the, the title race is boiled down to the, it's, you know, coming down to the dying embers. And Napoli went to Juventus. In turn, beat them at the death, one to zero. Kaladu Koulibaly scored in stoppage time, and textbook towering header. Textbook towering <laughs> header. Um, they had trailed uh, Juventus by six points, uh, three games leading into that one. Uh, then Juventus basically fumbled it against. Uh, I can't remember who the team was, but anyway, they drew, and Napoli won two games in a row. So. The title race was down to a single point from six. Single point, and Juventus still had to play Roma and Inter Milan over the last three games. Yeah, <laughs> to play Roma and Inter Milan. Last four games. And they go to Inter Milan, and they go up one in the first 12 minutes, and then Inter has a player sent off. And then Inter scores two goals. <laughs> and as, Juventus has like, as you do. Yeah. And then Juventus shrugs, scores two more, wins 3-2. Uh, elsewhere, Napoli was playing Fiorentina, who Fiorentina hasn't beat Napoli at home in forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so basically it was just like all they had to they all they had to do was win, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's it. Koulibaly, who scored the winning goal against Juventus, gets sent off in the first ten minutes, and then Napoli capitulate and lose three to zero. It's miserable. It's over. Uh, yeah. So I think what we should say here is that it kind of goes back to what we were saying with Real Madrid in that it just seems like these teams that are always winning, like. All of these things that are just in my mind, I can so clearly just say that is luck. That is luck. (laughs) That is luck. That is luck. But all of these things conspire against the feel-good stories. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like having Napoli come back, win in Turin in injury time to be down one point. I mean, people crying (laughs) and waving their banners in the set. It was beautiful. And then— to see Juventus be down with five minutes left and then score two goals in the last, you know, five or ten minutes, whatever it was. And then for Napoli, this is what happened. Koulibaly goes to clear the ball, and Giovanni Simeone, the son of Diego Simeone, to just add a little bit of spice to this, sort of wins the ball as Koulibaly goes to clear it, and Koulibaly just wipes him out with a just kick, an accidental yeah. kick. And it's originally awarded a penalty and a yellow card. 
and then the ref they go to the video assistant referee and they turn it into a free kick but a red card and I think you know looking back on it you would much rather give up a penalty and play with 11 men than give up a red card and not a penalty and then have to play down a man for almost 90 minutes so it's just you know that's just fucking terrible luck. It's, you know what I mean? But it happens every year with Juventus. Every like. every year. It's it's honestly there as I mean, it's just kind of like they're less a team than a force of nature. It's just kind of like at in May, you know, come come whatever happens, come May, Juventus is going to be at the top of the table. Yeah. It's it, it's the Real Madrid problem of it. Actually, we don't need to watch any of this shit, and we need to we don't need to get excited about it because in the end, it's going to be Juventus at the top of the league. Because the other thing, the the kind of disappointing thing about this that we should get get to is that like Napoli is having a one of the greatest seasons in Serie A history. They're on on pace to finish with around ninety one points, which almost any other year that's good enough to win any league. And they're league still not gonna do it. And it's- there's almost no way to look at this and not be like, this is the high point for Napoli. Like, there's no way they're going to have a season yeah, this they're, good they're never gonna have a, They're never going to have a season this good again because in the summer, a bunch of richer clubs are going to come and they're going to pick off Dries Mertens, Insigne, Jorginho. Koulibaly. Koulibaly is going to be gone. Pepe Reina. Pepe. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, also Maurizio Sarri is probably going to go to a bigger, to a different club. I mean, yeah. like, it's, it's like, this would, this was it. This was it. <laughs> this was the chance. And, but there's not another team. The Lazio's in, Lazio and Roma are tied for third and they're 14 points behind Napoli. So it's not like there's someone else who's even close. Yeah, it's. Um, but we should, we should, I mean, Napoli have been sort of the, I don't know if there are still hipster teams in soccer. Like, I feel like you have to go to the Serbian league at this yeah, point to yeah. be a hipster. But this definitely was a hipster pick. And they're just so fun to watch. And we looked this up earlier. Diego Maradona was bought by Napoli in 1985. He cost more than any of the three starting forwards for Napoli this season. Yeah, you told me that. Wait, did you ever tell me if that was like adjusted for whatever? If it was just like straight up, straight up without adjusting for inflation. Wow. Um, So Napoli, like, it's not like they're kind of riding their luck and you know punching above their weight. They've done something with this incredible manager, this incredible scouting system, and are putting together one of the best seasons in Italian soccer history, but it's just not good enough. It's not good. <laughs> um, but it also briefly speaks to, you know, the title races in Europe this season have just been fucking trash. Yeah. You know? I mean, Barcelona's yeah. about to, or might go undefeated. City had the league one in, in probably Christmas, August. Like, the Bundesliga uh, was over been, before it started. was over three years ago. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, normally when we would do this podcast— we would do like a whole episode, you would think, around El Clasico, which is this weekend. <laughs> and it does not who matter. Cares? The only thing that matters is that Barcelona are going for an undefeated season. Do you feel more or less confident now that there's going to be a European Super League in the next five years? Like, could there start to be an attrition in interest in these domestic leagues if this keeps going the way it's going? Yeah. I mean, my, as I've said before, I think. 
just as a general worldview for anyone, soccer or otherwise, expect people in power to consolidate their power. <laughs> they've done <laughs> yeah. that. They've um, done that, and then they'll have— They've done it, but they could probably do it even more. But with the amount of choice that American—say, let's just take the states as a, as a market. Yeah. Sure. The amount of choice that an American market has on a Saturday, mm-hmm. do you watch your local sports team, be it a college football team, a baseball team, whatever— do you watch the big national sporting event in America, the Masters, like whatever you want to call it? Or do you want to watch an Italian soccer match that has no bearing on the, whether or not somebody wins a championship because inevitably those same team wins every year? We, have, we, we might want to watch the Yankees every year. We might want to watch the Warriors every year. But are, we, are you making new fans if Bayern, Juventus, Barca win every title? Mm-hmm. Those uh, rights are worth a lot of money. You're not the league is not making more um more fans, but I think all of these big teams are just growing their fan base year by year because they're so dominant. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder what I would I, we should interview a 13-year-old about this. I mean Well, isn't every 13-year-old like a PSG that's fan? True. <laughs> Never mind. Every, just like, I, I saw like four like four Neymar jerseys on Melrose the yeah. other day. It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. P- like the Mourinho's son being like a PSG fan is just sort of like, I was like, oh, that's really funny, man. Jose's just like, he's a PSG fan. <laughs> uh, let's wrap it up there. Um, we'll come back in two weeks. We'll talk about the end of the Premier League season. We'll start getting you ready for World Cup. We'll be talking a yeah. lot about how to fill the United States void in your World Cup watching plans, some players you need to know, some teams that we're really intrigued by. Until then, from Micah, for Ryan and Donnie, I'm Chris. Today's episode of The Ringer FC was brought to you by Bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years experience, Bookmaker.eu is the online bookmaker for all your football betting needs, both professional and recreational. They offer a wide selection of betting options on soccer and football, including live betting, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from start up until the final whistle. Plus, with mobile betting, you can access your bookmaker betting account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone with no download necessary. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC today to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. That's bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. U.S. bettors accepted.